as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, let us give thanks for him. Give thanks for the gift and his gifts. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Merry Christmas to you all, and uh, I think we have our answer now, right? I was wondering before, what is Christmas all about? I think that gave us uh, some clues there, you know, from how we sang here and then seeing that there. It, of course, is about the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I pray that you have had and will have a wonderful Merry Christmas then today. Uh, For today, then, we want to talk about the best gift that's ever been given, the inexpressible gift. Uh, How many of you opened uh, presents like last night or this morning? Probably a good number of you, right? So, Or you're planning on it maybe a little bit later today. Well, today, though, we are going to unwrap the best. All those other things, those might be nice, some of those things you get. But all those are nothing compared to the gift that we're going to unwrap together here today. You might consider this is kind of like our church family living room here this morning. And so we're going to unwrap a a gift together here today, which is the inexpressible gift of Christ. And here is the key that I want us to take away from this here today, that as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, let us give thanks for him. Give thanks for the gift and his gifts. So we want to celebrate Jesus as the gift and then celebrate the gifts that the gift gives to us then. We're going to be looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, but before we do that here, a little context first. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is encouraging the believers in Corinth to remember that whoever gives little receives little, but whoever gives much receives much. We're told that God loves a cheerful giver, and he is able to make all grace abound then to you so that you will have whatever you need. But then Paul is commending them for their cheerful spirit of giving, for their giving, for their service to the poor in the church at Jerusalem, and that as they give generously to others in the name of Christ, God is glorified. And as he is speaking about that then, all this talk of generous giving leads Paul to think then of the greatest example ever of generous giving. And that is God's gift of his son, God's inexpressible gift to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 here, starting at verse 10. Paul speaking says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. 
Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So today, if something is inexpressible, it means what? Can't describe it. it. Well, we're going to try to do that anyway. We're going to express the inexpressible. We're going to describe the thing that's very difficult to describe. Because Jesus is God's inexpressible gift. So you might call this message then today, expressing the inexpressible here, the gifts of Christ then. First then, the gift of Christ. Uh, The gift of Christ. We see some biblical definitions or descriptions of Jesus, of who he is and what he has done. Have you ever thought about that? You know, there are dozens upon dozens of titles or descriptions of Jesus, of the Son of God, in the scriptures. And so I want to talk just a little bit about some of those things before then we look at what the blessings or the gifts of Christ are then for us. But first then, some biblical descriptions of Jesus. He is called the Messiah or the Christ. And what is a Messiah? A Messiah is one who delivers or saves from danger or trouble, right? And so he is Messiah. That is that Old Testament word in Hebrew, Messiah, a deliverer or savior. And in the New Testament, that word Messiah, we know as the anointed one, Christ. So Messiah and Christ, the deliverer, the savior, the one who rescues us. He is called the lamb of God. Why is he the Lamb of God? Because of his sacrifice for us. Just as God's people were instructed to sacrifice a lamb, Jesus then is the ultimate, once for all time, perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God. He is also, though, what? The Lion of Judah. He is a lamb, that gentle one who willingly went to the cross and laid down his life. But he is also a lion, the lion of Judah. He is a roaring king, one who is to be feared, a biblical and healthy fear, right? But a one who is to be feared, the lion of the, the lamb of God, but the lion of Judah as well. He is the resurrection and the life. You know, the, the scriptures tell us that the wages of sin, the penalty for our sin is death. It's spiritual death, but also physical death and corruption. But Jesus has overcome all of that, and he is the resurrection who overcomes death. And his, just as his body, his physical body, was raised from the grave, so too we, through faith in him, our bodies will be raised and given new life, glorious new life. Jesus is the good shepherd. Uh, what did a shepherd do? A shepherd provided for the needs of his sheep and watched out for them, protected them, would lead them into pastures, protect them from danger, from wolves, would heal up their wounds, bind up their wounds then, put oil on that. Well, he is the good shepherd, the shepherd of our souls, who leads us into pastures of righteousness. And he is the one who has given us new life, who protects us then and heals up our and binds our wounds as well. He is then the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he is the ruler of all the universe, and he will rule. He does rule now, and he will rule forever over us and over the new earth and all the new heaven. He is the head of the church. Uh, Who's in charge of this church? You say, well, the board? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, the congregation. We're a congregational church, right? So ultimately, the authority is the congregation. No. Ultimately, the authority is who? It is Christ, because he is the head of the church then. 
He is a high priest. A priest represented, uh, went before God to represent the people. He goes before God the Father on our behalf, representing us then. He is the bread of life. He is the source of life. Just as bread uh, fills our physical needs, uh, Jesus fills our, our spiritual needs. He is our bread of life. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the creator and he is the end and purpose of all things. He is the light of the world that shines in the darkness. He's the image of the invisible God. Meaning what? An image that is he's the exact representation of God. If you want to know what God is like, well then look at the Son, look at Jesus. He tells us what God is like then. He is the word, the very expression and revelation of God. He is our Savior who delivers us from from death, from the penalty of sin. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Our faith is a gift that comes from him. He's the author of it, but he's also the finisher. He perfects it. He's going to finish everything he started then within us in our faith. He is the great I am. He is Yahweh, the Lord of the universe, the absolute, eternal, sovereign, majestic God who is the creator of all, the great I am. He is the prince of peace. Through him we have peace with God, but we also have the peace of God in him. He is Emmanuel. You know, there's a wonderful song we just sang again here, you know, that uh, I love that song. Jerry wrote that song called Emmanuel, Noel, God with us. I love that song. And in that, he is what? Is we're singing about how God is with us in Jesus. And finally then, he is the way and the truth and the life. He is the way. How do we get to heaven? There's only one way, through Jesus Christ, right? He is the truth. Truth isn't just an abstract philosophical concept. Truth is a person. He is truth. And he is the life. He is spiritual life. He's physical life, but he's spiritual life. He is eternal life, the way, the truth, and the life. So that is the gift of Christ. So we want to unwrap that gift here now. And just imagine yourself going to that tree there and pulling this beautiful box out with a nice shiny bow on it, taking that, opening it up in there, and there it says Jesus. But then it's like one of those things, you open that up and you say, oh, there's more, oh, there's more, oh, there's more in there then too. And so that's what we're going to do. Now we could spend quite a bit of time then talking about all the gifts that we have in Jesus here. But we're just going to reflect on some of those here for a little bit here today. What are some of these gifts of Jesus or the blessings, the blessings of salvation, what we have in Christ? Well, first off is, of course, through when we put our trust in him, we have the forgiveness of sins. Scripture tells us that the penalty, the wages of sin is death. That is, that's eternal judgment, condemnation. Because God is just, he must punish sin, and he will, all sin. But because God is loving and merciful and gracious, he sent a Savior then who took the penalty for sin for us then so that we wouldn't have to. And when we put our trust in him, we are forgiven our sins. What does that mean? Well, to be forgiven means to be released, to be released from that penalty of sin, to be released from that eternal penalty of sin, to be released from his divine justice then. So forgiveness, I love this passage in Psalm 103 that says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, 
so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Think about that. How far is the east from the west? Now, I know if you say, well, we live on a, on, a, on a globe, on a planet, well, it's about, what, about 24,000? No, but just imagine the, you know, the concept here of east and west. It's much more than, you know, that. so just going as far, as far, as far as you can go east, as far, as far as west. How far is that? Awfully long way, isn't it? As far as the east is from the west. This is how far, what, that he has removed our transgressions, our sins for us. That is, we are forgiven. He's removed that judgment off of us through Jesus then. So we have forgiveness. We also then have eternal life. This is probably the best known passage in Scripture, John 3.16, that says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life, everlasting life. And this eternal life does not just mean living forever and ever and ever. It means a state or a quality of life that is one of of blessedness and goodness forever and ever and ever then. That is a gift of Christ, forgiveness, eternal life. Now, our bodies will die, but we will go into his presence, and then one day he will raise these bodies, and we will live forever and ever and ever in him in a state of blessedness and grace. That is eternal life. Everlasting love and faithfulness, then. Um, I think that one of the, the greatest experiences that we can have in this life is, is, is ex- the experience of love. Uh, but yet, though, among human beings, sometimes human love can be uh, fickle, can't it? And it does not always endure. But God's love is not like that. It is not fickle. It is an everlasting love, an eternal love, and he is faithful, faithful to us forever. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord then says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. So God loves you, and God is faithful to you, and he always will be. You never have to worry about him withdrawing that. Can you imagine that? Have you ever thought about that? You know, we think about the attributes of God, what God is like. One of those attributes is, is his faithfulness and that he does not change. Can you imagine if God did change or if God was not faithful? He wouldn't be God, God, first of all, right? (laughs) But what would that be like to think, you know, that well, God is, okay, he's blessed us and given us, you know, eternal life, but you know what, maybe he thinks differently about it tomorrow or the next day. Aren't you glad that God, his love and his faithfulness is eternal, is everlasting, and he does not change? And this is one of the gifts that we have in Christ, is Jesus is that expression of his everlasting love and faithfulness. Another of the gifts of Jesus then for us is holiness, Holiness, that is, it's, a, it's, it's supreme moral virtue or goodness. It's that character of, of, of supreme virtue and goodness without sin in any way. And that one of the gifts of Jesus is, is not only that our sins are forgiven, but that he gives us his very own righteousness, his holiness. Now you think about that for a minute. Imagine if... God had said, okay, all of your sins are forgiven, 
Now all you have to do to remain in my favor is to just be perfect. <laughs> well, we would say, well, thank you for the gift of forgiveness, but uh, boy, I'm not going to last very long in your favor here if I'm having to be holy and righteous all on my own, right? We're, you need some help here, right? We are completely incapable of absolute moral perfection, aren't we? So that's why he gives it to us as a gift. So, you know, we think we're saved by Christ. We think, well, we're saved by his death on the cross, you know, and, and being judged for our, for our sins there. That's true, but that's only part of it. We are saved also by his perfect life, his perfect righteousness, that he completely obeyed the law of God for us on our behalf. And God says, I will give that. I will credit his perfection, his obedience, his holiness to you. And so right now, we have that. That's a gift. Do we experience it fully right now? No. But we will in his presence. And when the bodies are raised, we will be perfectly holy as he is holy. You know, you're, you're never going to be tempted by sin. You're never going to sin. You're never going to be tempted by it. Because can you imagine, would heaven truly be heaven if we could sin? And if we did sin? No, it wouldn't be, right? But we will be incapable of that. That's because we will be holy as he is holy. And this is one of the gifts of Christ for us, one of his blessings. We have peace with God then. Paul says in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified or made right with God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You do not want God to be your enemy. You know, because he, yes, he is gracious and merciful. He is that. But he is also holy and righteous and just. And he will judge sin. But because of Jesus, we are no longer at war with God, but he has made peace. We didn't make peace with him. He made peace with us through Jesus then. So we now have peace with him. We're no longer at war with him. He is no longer at war with us, but we are at peace He also gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus says there, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That when we put our trust in Christ then, We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, God himself, who takes up residence within us then to be present with us always then and to guide us, to direct us there. We could spend many, many hours talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but that's one of our gifts in Jesus is the ministry of the Holy Spirit and his presence within us. Have you ever thought about that? Just imagine that for a moment. If, and by the way, is the Spirit going anywhere? Is he ever going to leave you? There for a second, no, he's not. But imagine if that was something else then that God could just, would just take away from us, if he would take his Spirit from us. Imagine that waking up one day and having this sense, this powerful realization here that the Spirit is no longer there with you. We never have to worry about that because he is in us and will be in us for how long? Forever and ever. Adoption. We have been adopted as children of God then. Galatians 4. This is a great uh, 
Great little summary of the Christmas story right here in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. Paul speaking says, But when the fullness of time had come, that is, when the time was just right, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, in that culture, to be adopted as a son, it meant, we think of adopting, we think of adopting a baby or a small child. And they would do that, but they also, in their culture, they would sometimes adopt uh, adults, like an, an older person might adopt a younger man to be his son. If he did not have children, he would adopt a young man to be his son to receive then the inheritance of his estate. When that man died, that adopted son would receive everything that he had, all that the father had. And so God uses that then to say we are like that. We are adopted as children of God then in order that we might receive all that he has, inher- that, that he has promised us and the inheritance that we have. It's a brand new relationship. We're no longer servants or slaves. We are sons of God children of God then. He also gives us inner strength in Ephesians 3.16. Paul then is praying for the Ephesians, and he's he's praying that, uh, that you might be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us that strength that we need inside to live the Christian life then. He supplies our needs. Philippians 4.19, Paul tells us then, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus then. Now, needs and wants are not the same thing, are they? God has not promised to supply all of our wants, but he will supply all of our needs. There are times then, though, when we might go through a period where we're wondering, like, hey, okay, God, where are you? You know, I really need you here to supply these needs right now. But I have seen in my life, in my experience, that God never fails to come through. In that Now, we may have a season where we need to learn dependence, don't we? We need to do that. But God always will come through. And whether that need is ultimately met here or in his presence, he will supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus. And then also then, we've talked about this before, we have in Christ the gift of grace, grace upon grace. What is God's grace? It is his unmerited favor and goodness then. And we're told in John 1.16, says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, like those waves that just keep coming on the ocean there, wave after wave, grace upon grace then. You know, I was talking with someone last night who had made a comment on that that I hadn't thought about this before. And I thought, you know, wow, that's true. And he was talking about the, the grace of God, then we think of God's goodness and favor to us. But he was talking about this grace that just keeps on coming. It's like God's power, that God's power is always coming upon us again and again. And I thought, you know, that's how that is if you've ever been. How many of you have been to the ocean and you stood there and that and you can just feel, you feel the power of the ocean in those ways. It's not just hitting you with water over and over, but you're feeling what? That surge of power that just keeps coming and hitting upon you over and over and over again. And that's how it is with God's grace. It's not just this relentlessness of goodness, but there is this relentless power of God that comes upon us again and again, like those waves, right? Well, this is one of the gifts that we have in Christ. We also then have access to the throne of grace 
In Hebrews 4, we're told, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, that is something that's, that's a little challenging then for us to understand. Now, Jesus is God, but he is also human, right? And so in his deity, the scripture tells us God can't even be tempted by evil. He can't even be tempted by sin. And yet Jesus was tempted, well, if Jesus is God, well, then how could he be tempted if, if God can't be tempted? Well, he is God, but he is also human. He's man. And he was tempted. Was, was, was his deity being tempted? No, it was his humanity. And have you ever thought about that? That he understands. He knows what it's like to be human. <laughs> he knows what it's like to face temptations and those struggles. He knows these things, and because of that, then he is sympathetic to us. He's sympathetic to you in your struggles because he has borne the full weight of that temptation there himself. And because of that, then, we can draw near to him, to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and help. And there's that power, again, that power and grace upon grace coming to us then, right? We also have the gift of sovereign wisdom and good purpose. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. That God promises you, one of our blessings in Christ, is that God is working, no matter what is happening in our lives, good and bad, <laughs> through it all, he is ultimately working for our eternal good. And that's hard to believe some days, isn't it? I wonder what in the world. This is not mean. This verse doesn't mean that everything that happens is good. It isn't. But it says that God is working in everything that is happening for our good. Right? That He is working in it for a good eternal purpose. And that's one of those things that we accept and receive by faith. That we know by faith that we have forgiveness, we have eternal life, we have hope, we have all of those things. But one of those things that we have is that no matter what is happening, God is working in it for eternal good in our life. Do you believe that? That's one of his promises and gifts. He is working for eternal good. He works in it to make us more like Christ and to bring eternal blessing in some way through it. That's really quite a great promise. We have the promise of the resurrection of the body. You know, that we are not, some, some folks have this idea that you believe in Jesus. Well, when you die, well, your spirit, you go into the presence of God, and then we'll just exist forever as a, as a, as a spirit in the presence of God. But that's not what the scriptures teach. The scripture says that as human beings, we are made to be embodied, to have physical bodies. And so just as Jesus had a physical body, he was raised in a physical body, now a very glorious and transformed physical body, but a physical body nevertheless. And so too, we will follow him in that resurrection and that we will have glorified physical bodies forever and ever on a new earth. That's another promise and blessing that we have in Christ then. Also then, we have the promise of eternal reward. 
Jesus says in Revelation twenty two twelve, Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. Did you know that what we do, what you do, what I do for Christ that honors him and pleases him will be remembered and rewarded forever and ever. What you do matters. You know, some people have this idea like, well, if you believe in Jesus, then okay, my, secu- my, my eternal security is all set now. I have eternal life. Now I can just do whatever I want. It doesn't matter. No. First of all, that's not understanding what salvation is, right? Because it does matter what we do with our lives. And that God says that he is going to reward all those things. He sees those things that we do for him and that honor him. He will not forget a single one of those. Even a cup of cold water in his name, he will remember and he will reward. You know, folks, I am convinced that there are going to be some folks that are going to think that when you think of, oh, people who have eternal rewards, you need to think of someone who is, uh, what they do is so public and visible. But you know what? They may stand one day at that judgment seat of Christ and he will say to them, that is of no value to me because everything you did, you were doing, he knew, he knew their hearts the whole time. That it was all about them and that it was maybe a selfishness and, and, and self-exaltation. Meanwhile, there's someone else who's laboring away in obscurity that no one ever sees or knows anything about, but God knows that. And that will not be forgotten. He will reward everything that was done for him and for his glory. What we do in this life matters then. We have this eternal inheritance then, kept in heaven. Peter says, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. What a great promise there. And then one final thing, I call this the kind of the, the catch-all category here, that uh, in, case, in case we miss something, and we did miss a few things here, quite a few things actually, but even the things that you can't think of, that I can't think of, I love this one here where it tells us in Ephesians 1 verse 3, where Paul says, uh, we blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, we have in Christ every spiritual blessing. These things that we know and that we read about and we can think about, even things that we don't know and we can't even think about, we have that in Christ because we've been given every spiritual blessing blessing. If there was something good, God did not withhold it from us. If it's good, he's going to say, well, you know, I could have done a little bit more for you, but I decided to hold back on this thing or or that. No, it is every spiritual blessing has been given to us in Christ. And if you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, you have that now, right now, You and I, we don't experience all of it in its fullness right now, but it belongs to us right now, and we will experience it. Why? Because God is faithful. He will bring all of these things to pass then. And I said, well, so what? What do you want me to do with this? Well, it's this right here. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus, let us give thanks for the gift and for his gifts. Give thanks for Jesus, for who he is. Give thanks for the gifts that he has given us, for what he has done for us, what he is doing for us, 
and what he will do us do for us then. So I would ask you then today, have you opened the gift? I'm not talking about those gifts under the tree at home. I've got this gift right here, this gift of Jesus. How do we open this gift? By faith. We receive it by faith. We put our trust in him. We turn away from our sin and we turn to him, put our trust in him and his perfect life, his death on the cross and his resurrection. We confess our sins. We ask that forgiveness from him and then we receive that gift of forgiveness and life in his name. And then he gives us his spirit then to help us to live a life which is honoring then and pleasing to him. So have you opened that gift? You open it with faith then. Also then I would say rejoice. Rejoice today in the gifts of the gift. All of those things that we just talked about and much, much more. Where can you learn more about all that? Right here in his word, right? Right here in his word. Finally then, this gift, the gifts of Jesus is something that is designed to be given, usually a gift, a gift is given to you and it's for you, right? Well, this is a gift that is given to you and it's for you, but it's also designed to be given to others, to be shared with others. Share the gift. Share the How do you do that? By proclaiming the gospel in word and deed. Share the gift of Jesus with others, not just the words of your mouth, but also in how you live your life. I want to give something. This is a little bit of a challenge here, but I think, uh, you know, we've been talking about all this wonderful, wonderful gifts we have in Jesus. Here's a little bit of a challenge here that certainly challenges me. Maybe it will for you as well. As you know, one of my favorite authors is J.I. Packer, and in this book, Knowing God, he talks at a section here, I want to read a little bit from it to you, where he talks about the Christmas spirit, He's talking about how, how Jesus, how the Son of God humbled himself and became a servant and all that that means then. And how we then are to imitate him, imitate that spirit. And he says, we talk glibly of the Christmas spirit, rarely meaning more by this than sentimental jollity on a family basis. But what we have said makes it clear that the phrase should, in fact, carry a tremendous weight of meaning. What is the Christmas spirit? It says it ought to mean the reproducing in human lives of the temper of him who for our sakes became poor at the very first Christmas. And the Christmas spirit itself ought to be the mark of every Christian all year round. Here's where it gets, remember I said it was challenging? You think, okay, okay. Well, here's where it gets challenging. He says, It is our shame and disgrace today that so many Christians, I will be more specific, so many of the soundest and most orthodox Christians go through this world in the spirit of the priest and the Levite in our Lord's parable, seeing human needs all around them, but after a pious wish and perhaps a prayer that God might meet those needs, averting their eyes and passing by on the other side. And that is not the Christmas spirit. Nor is it the spirit of those Christians, alas, they are many, whose ambition in life seems limited to building a nice middle-class Christian home and making nice middle-class Christian friends and bringing up their children in nice, middle-class Christian ways, 
and who leave the sub-middle class sections of the community, Christian and non-Christian, to get on by themselves. The Christmas spirit does not shine out in the Christian snob. For the Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who, like their master, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor, spending and being spent to enrich their fellow humans, giving time, trouble, care, and concern to do good to others, and not just their own friends, in whatever their way there seems need. Now, did that challenge you a little bit? That challenged me a little bit there. So as we are celebrating today, giving thanks for the gift and the gifts of the gift, share the gift, and not just in word, but in deed, take up the true Christmas spirit, which is what? Expending ourselves in the way that our Savior expended him for us, taking on his example, taking, having the mind of Christ in us. That's a wonderful way to celebrate Christmas sharing him with others. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for the gift and the gifts of Jesus Christ. Lord, we confess that, well, and I'll be the first to say it, Lord, we can become too uh, concerned with our, our own lives and our own needs and not be as cognizant, as aware of the needs of those around us, Lord. But you... You humbled yourself and you became a servant. You were obedient, obedient even to death on a cross. And now you have triumphed, you have been raised, and now every, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that you, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Lord, as we celebrate your gift and your gifts to us today, may we also take on the mind of Christ and share him with others in word and deed. May the light of Jesus Christ shine, bright, shine brightly in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org. 